We are wrapping up our series that we've been in now for a few weeks, uh, What God Makes New. And we've talked about three uh, very, very significant, uh, necessary areas in, of life and things that God makes new, that He promises to make new, and provides for every single believer. So if you're in Christ, you have the ability to be new. Uh, no matter what you've been before Christ, you have been made a new creation in Christ. And we've, we've unpacked that. We've talked about the, the practical application of that. The, the ways that being new uh, impact every other area of life. And we certainly have not covered the whole, uh, the whole concept of that, but we've, we've zeroed in on some key areas. And today, as we wrap up, we're going to be talking about something that I think will be of tremendous encouragement to all of you, a new reality, a brand new reality. That is what awaits every single believer. We're living here and now in this, in this reality uh, of life, and we're, we're certainly familiar with all that goes into this reality, and knowing what this reality is like should make us yearn yearn for a greater reality, a new reality uh, that is completely different from everything that we experience here every single day. And that reality is, is not just real, it's already secure. It's already secured for us who are in Christ. So we're talking about that new reality today. Uh, in what is, in my opinion, one of the greatest movies ever made, The Princess Bride, Good. Yes, I, I'm talking to the right group of people. The Princess Bride, my, uh, probably my favorite movie. I mean, it's, it's probably number one. And um, in, in the movie, one of the, the best scenes is with, with Princess Buttercup, who is engaged to the terrible Prince Humperdinck. Boo! He's engaged, she's engaged to him, and... Long story short, the dread pirate Roberts kidnaps her away from Prince Humperdinck. And he's running with her, and he, they stop for a moment of rest, and he's talking to her, and he finds out about her, her one lost love, Wesley. The poor farmhand, Wesley. And she describes him and talks about him, and dread pirate Roberts, he's not compassionate at all. He's sarcastic. And he says, so, when you found out that Wesley was dead, did you wait a whole day before you were engaged to Prince Humperdinck? And he just, he's giving her a hard time, and, and she flares up with anger, and she says, you mock my pain. And he says this great statement, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. It's great, right? That's wisdom. It's wisdom, and we certainly can all relate to that because that's what's been true for all of human history except for the very beginning, and that didn't last long. You know, right at the beginning when God made Adam and Eve and, and the heavens and the earth, everything was perfect. It was, it was the complete opposite of all that we know and have known and every generation before us has known. It was perfect, but it didn't last long. And from the moment of the fall in the garden, from the moment sin was introduced, what 
the dread pirate Roberts told Princess Buttercup is exactly true. It's, that's reality. Life is pain. Life is hard. Life is, is full of toil and turmoil and trial and suffering. I mean, it has good moments too. It's not like everything is just 100% terrible all the time, but there is always, always a foundation of hardship. There's always this undercurrent of bad and bad things and bad results. But it won't always be that way. And that's really good news. There is a greater reality coming. It's a, it's a done deal. It's a sure thing. Just as sure as life is hard and life is pain, just as sure as that, there is a better reality, a greater reality, a perfect reality, a renewal and a restoration of all things back to the plan in the garden, back to how it was meant to be before sin introduced and unraveled everything. But it's, it's hard to keep grasp of that reality. It, it's hard even to live in light of that reality because of how powerful this reality is and how hard it is and how full of pain this life is. It's hard to live in view of that other reality. Don't you think? Wouldn't you agree that it's hard to do? That doesn't come easy. It doesn't come naturally. That's not our default mode of operating. If you're familiar with uh, the Chronicles of Narnia series, there's another great character, probably my favorite character in the series. He comes in the silver chair. His name is Puddleglum, and his name fits his character. He's glum and he's gloomy. Everything is always bad. Uh, you know, if it's not raining and someone points it out that it's a beautiful day, he says, yep, until it starts raining again. And I mean, that's his outlook. He's perpetually glass completely empty, not just half full. And maybe you can identify with that. Maybe that's your default uh, to, to automatically see the gray and the negative. It's easy to be like that, unfortunately, because that's how so much of life is. But that's not what we're called to be. That's not how we're called to be. That's not what we're called to do as those who have been made new in Christ. We're called to tune in to a different perspective, to a different reality altogether. And it's not natural, but it is possible. And it's what we're called to. We're called to endure. We're called to have hope. We're called to see through the clouds and, and see the bright morning that is promised for us. We're called to live now here in light of eternity, in light of that new reality. We're called to persevere. But perseverance requires perspective. Perseverance requires perspective. It's all about perspective. All about our mindset. And we know how that works. We know how important perspective is and how we need perspective in life to stay motivated, to endure the hard things of life. Um, think about when you know you're getting ready to go on vacation. Sometimes those are the worst days because you know, you know vacation's coming, but it's not here yet. It's on the calendar. It's circled. And as the days are counting down, 
You're getting more and more excited and more ready. But you know what else happens? Life seems to be the worst of all the other days, like the week before it's vacation time. That's when your stress ratches up. And, and that's when this thing happens and that issue happens. And, and you just find yourself like, can I get through this week so that I can get on vacation? And you, you, you use vacation to motivate yourself to stay with it and to endure this week or the next couple weeks until vacation. Like that's your, your goal. That's the prize. And you're aiming for it. Like if I can just make it through this week, then it's vacation. And you use that to motivate yourself and your family. Or think about uh, with school, whether it's elementary, middle school, high school, college, it doesn't matter. Graduate work for someone like Dan. You know, if you know there's a break coming, you actually have a break. Teachers and principals identify with that. There's a break coming right now. Man, this is the rough part of the year. Because Christmas breaks, <laughs> bye-bye Christmas break, nothing until spring break. It's like, will that ever come? And you use the, the reality, the future reality of a break to motivate you to get through the now, right? And you motivate yourself, teachers. You motivate your students, parents. You're motivating your children. Hey, hang in there. It's, it's only so much time until a break, then you can relax. You've, you've got to still endure though right now, and, and you have that set before you. That's the goal you're aiming for as motivation for yourself or for others. With that in mind, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture first, Romans 8, verses 18-23. through 23. This is our perspective. Perseverance requires perspective. That's what I want to provide you with this morning. Perspective from God's Word. Perspective that there is absolutely a better, greater, perfect reality that awaits you, believer. If you're in Christ, it's yours. It's secure for you. It's a done deal. And it's about living now here in light of that. So here's some some perspective so that we can persevere until we catch up to that reality. Romans 8, verses 18 through 23. And before I read verse 18, just to recap, last week I read verse 17, which says that we are made, we're adopted. We're adopted by God Himself. And it's an incredible, astounding fact that we who are, are sinners and rebels against God and His holiness, that He would love us enough to send His Son Jesus, not just to save us, but to make us adopted children. And verse 17 says, if we are children, we're also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, suffer, that's that nasty word we don't like, but it's what life is full of right here and now. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. And here's verse 18, Romans 8, 18. For I consider, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and that should tell you, Uh, something that should make what he says even more significant, knowing that he has definitely endured suffering. He's endured persecution. He's endured trials. He's endured imprisonment. He's endured, endured torture. He has definitely lived a hard life. And so for him to say what we're going to read is significant. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, which he was well acquainted with, 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now that's perspective, isn't it? Like, here I am in this body, in this life, on this earth, and Paul is is very familiar with suffering, more than a lot of other people were. And yet he says, as real and as hard and as unfortunate and unwanted as the sufferings of this present time may be, they don't even register. Like that, That's what he's saying. It's not even a blip on the radar compared with what's coming. Compared with the glory that's going to come our way if we're in Christ. Then verse 19, for the anxious, he, he explains, he expounds on that. Why, why is he saying that? I mean, if, you're, if you know what Paul's been through, and his readers would have, and they themselves were dealing with quite a lot, it wasn't just, you know, pie in the sky. I mean, it was some, some tough stuff going on. I mean, they would be right in saying, Paul, what are you talking about? Have you lost your mind? All those beatings you received, did you get one too many blows to the head? What, what do you mean that the sufferings aren't worthy to be compared? I mean, how in the world are you able to say that, Paul? And he, he gives reason. He, he's giving reason for his perspective. Verse 19, For the anxious longing of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who, subject, who subjected it, in hope, that's a good word, hope, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, For we know, yes we know, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting, eagerly waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. It's all about perspective with Paul. He's saying, I know that this life is hard. This life is tough. I know there's a lot of suffering. But what I have, I want to give to you, Paul is saying. I want you to have the perspective I do, which is to look through all that, to look past all that, to look beyond all that, and to know there is a restoration coming. There is a renewal. There is glory that's awaiting you. Keep your your mind focused on that. Let that be what you're looking toward. Let that be the goal. We have the first fruits, or another way of putting that would be we have the down payment. We have the deposit of this reality, and it's in God the Holy Spirit. When you come to Christ, you're not just made new, you're given the very Spirit of God to dwell within you, to tabernacle in you. And He not only gives you power to go through this life and all of its hardships and all of the suffering, He is a guarantee of that greater reality. He's a a promise of it. An assurance of it. And he's saying, because of of that, we know what's coming and we eagerly wait for it. We don't just dismiss it. We're not passive. We eagerly wait for the reality 
that is promised to us that the Holy Spirit is a down payment of. I love what C.S. Lewis says. I, I love just about everything he says. Um, he, he says this in relation to what we're talking about. He said, the fact, the fact that our heart yearns for something earth can't supply is proof that heaven must be our home. I'm going to read that again. The fact that our heart yearns for something earth can't supply is proof that heaven must be our home. You can identify with that, right? Don't, don't you, I mean, feel it in your bones, at the core of your being, that this is not it? That, that something's just not right? I mean, even on your best day, even on the best day when everything seems to be working out right, as rare as those days are, even on the best day, you just you know this, this can't be it. There's just something not quite right. The, the puzzle pieces just don't fit. And here's the thing. Everybody knows that. It's not, just what, it's not Christians only that, that know that. That's why the unbelieving world out there looks for all the things they look for to fulfill them. That's why they search so incessantly for satisfaction and fulfillment and to be filled up. That's why they, they chase after alcohol and drugs and casual sex and all the other things. Fame, uh, fortune, prestige. All those pursuits are a pursuit to satisfy the longing that every person feels in their soul. But that longing is only satisfied in God and the reality that He provides. The fact that our heart yearns for something earth can't supply is proof that heaven must be our home. If, if you're in Christ, heaven is your home. Heaven is your destination. Heaven is your reality. And you have the ability, even while living in this life, you have the ability, believer, to tune in to tune in to that greater reality that awaits you. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to live in light of that reality. So, with perspective. We're talking about perspective here. Perseverance requires perspective. Here's some more perspective. John 14, 1-3. Jesus Himself, as He's getting ready to go to the cross, He tells His disciples this. And this is so applicable to us. John 14, 1-3, he says, Do not let, which, which tells us there's a choice. We have a choice. Do not let your heart be troubled. Why? Why did Jesus say that? How could He say it? Because of the next statement. Believe in God, talking about the Father. Believe also in Me. And He's saying, I am one with My Father. Just, just as My Father is God Almighty, I am God as well. I, what, what He is, I am. So you can believe in Me just as you believe in My Father. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, note, watch this, I will come again and receive you to Myself that where I am, there you may be also. 
That's a promise. It's a promise. And it's an assured reality if you are in Christ, if you are a believer in Him, if He has made you new, this is true of you as well. Here's some more perspective. Colossians 3, verse 4. Colossians 3, verse 4. Last week we ended with verse 3, which says uh, that your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians uh, 3 is a fantastic chapter in the previous verses of this. It says, don't set your mind on things of earth. Set your mind on things above where Christ is, for your life is hidden with Christ in God. We sang about that just a few minutes ago this morning. Verse 4 says this as a connection, as a, as a result. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, man, let me just pause there for a second, church. We've got it. We've got to tune into that. We've got to believe that. Believer, you've got to walk that way. You've got to say, my life is not tied up in, in the things that I have. My life is not tied up with what I do uh, as a job, as important as your job is. Do it well. My life is, is not wrapped up in my, my education. There's nothing wrong with education. It's great to pursue education. and to, There's nothing wrong with getting more degrees. My life is not wrapped up in my family, as precious as your family is. No, believer, you need to say, this. This needs to define you and me. This needs to be our reality. We need to say with certainty and live this out that Christ is our life. Christ is our life. When Christ, who is our life, Paul says, is manifested, your translation, uh, I'm reading from the LSB, your translation might say appears, but in the Greek, it literally is manifested. The Greek word is phanero. And phanero means something that it's, it's the manifestation of what is already true and existing, but is, is hidden. It hasn't been revealed yet. Phanero. It's a great word. And so uh, the LSB says, literally in the Greek, when Christ who is our life is manifested, then you also, you also will be manifested with Him in glory. Isn't that great news? You, your reality, it's a done deal. It's an assured thing, but it's, it's hidden from you right now. We're not there yet. We're not caught up to it. doesn't mean it's not real. It just means it's not um, something that has been fully revealed to us. It's still hidden, as it were. But when Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with Him in glory. It's coming. It's a done deal if you're in Christ. And then all those hardships and all the sufferings and all the bad of this life and this world, it will just be eclipsed. It'll just be eclipsed by the glory of our Savior and the glory we are able to partake in with Him. Reminds me of a very old hymn, but what a good one it is. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Our trials will seem so small when we see Christ. It will be worth it all. How can we have this perspective? Why should we focus on it? Why should we pursue this perspective? Why should we believe any of this? I mean, what... What proof do we have? 
What reason, what logical reason is there for hoping in all of this and seeing this as, as real and as true and letting this be our anchor? Well, I want to suggest to you the reason is this. Since God kept His promises in the past, which He did, every single one of them, we can trust Him to keep His promises about our future. There is not a single promise in the past. Like, think Old Testament. All the promises that fill page after page of the prophecies of the Old Testament. There is not a single one as it related to the coming of Christ, the promise of the Messiah that Jesus did not fulfill. Down to the minute. No one ever uh, could fulfill or has fulfilled all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And there are so many other prophecies even beyond Jesus Himself that were promised and prophesied that were fulfilled, that were kept. God keeps His promises. He is a promise-keeping God. He is not like us. Don't cast the fact that you have had promises broken in your life that other people made. Don't cast and project that onto God. He's not like us. When God makes a promise, He keeps it. And God has kept all of His promises in the past and about the past. And so with that being true, that tells us we can absolutely, fully trust Him to keep all the promises about our future. And here's what God's Word actually says about that. That's not just my opinion. It wouldn't be really worth much if it was just my opinion. Thankfully, it's not. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 through 13. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 through 13. What happened in Peter's day? What happened that he that caused him to, to write what he did in this epistle continues to happen. And that's that people hear things like I've just been saying. People hear even the verses that I've been reading, and they say, they said it, they said it then, they said it here at the, at the time that this was written, Peter's original audience and the, the culture of his day, they said this and asked this and mocked in this way, and it happens today. They say, well, okay, if Jesus is really coming, why hasn't he? Where is he? Where is the promise? Things keep going the way they've gone forever. Things are still just as bad as they've ever been, if not worse. So why are you hoping in this fairy tale? Where is he? What's he doing about it? Here's what Peter said. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some consider slowness, but is patient toward you not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be found out. Since, it's a word of a fact, it's 
It's a statement of fact. Absolute. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens burning will be destroyed and the elements will melt with intense heat. Verse 13, but, but according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And it's a promise that was not just something Peter fabricated and came up with. What he was alluding to was a promise from the Old Testament and a prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah 65.17 where God through Isaiah gave this promise, this statement. For behold, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth. And here's the... Oh, this is so good. Don't miss this. I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth. Here we go. And the former things will not be remembered or come upon the heart. Wow. Are you excited for that? Are you ready for that? I am. Man, what a promise. Yeah, I'll I'll take that. New heavens and a new earth and the former things and all the former things we could fill an entire message with just listing the former things that we will be glad to, to know are former. We'll be glad to see made former, not present, not reality. The former things will not be remembered or come upon the heart. And then God gave John, the Apostle John, He gave him the glimpse. He gave, them, gave him the ability to see what Isaiah had prophesied, what Isaiah promised, what Peter alluded to, that, that coming day of the new heavens and the new earth, which Isaiah looked forward and, and said was coming, God gave John a clear vision of it. And he saw it. And God wanted him to write it down for all of us. Revelation 21, verses 1-4. through This is John seeing the reality of what had been promised. And it is so good. Revelation 21, 1-4. John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Got to be honest, I'm a little sad about that. But you know what? I won't be. (laughs) Because if whatever God takes away means something incredible must take its place. I love the sea. I love the ocean. Keep asking God to let me live by one, but so far He hasn't done that. But it's okay. It's all right. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Guess what, Christian? Heaven comes to you. you we, won't, 
go to heaven and spend eternity up there somewhere in the clouds and all of that. No, heaven comes to us. The new heavens will be made, but what we know as heaven, like the streets of gold and and the celestial city and all that, what we refer to as heaven, it will be on a new earth. It's a restoration of Eden. It's a restoration of Eden. We'll have a new, physical, literal earth. An earth freed from the curse of sin. Wow, what that will be like. But it's a real thing. It's a real new planet that we will live on and dwell on. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people. And God Himself will be among them. And here's where it really, really, really gets good. As a result of God being among us, dwelling among us, look at what verse 4 says. All these promises. And He, the God who is dwelling among us, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. Aren't you tired of death? Aren't you tired of that temporary separation between you and your loved ones? I know you are. So many of you recently have had to do that. You're going through that. You're dealing with the pain of having to say, Temporarily, goodbye. You go on ahead. I'm here. And you know where they are if they're in Christ. And you celebrate the fact that they are alive and well. But that doesn't take away the pain, does it? That pain is real. And those tears come. And they come when, you don't, when you're not even expecting it. It's the smallest Strangest things that will set you off. I know. But there's coming a day. There is coming a day for you, believer, when you never have to say another goodbye. When you never have to feel that pain of temporary loss. Where you never have to say, I'm not where you are. God Himself will be among them and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. All all of the, the, the terms we use, passing away, died, gone ahead, all those things will no longer be said. In fact, the very term they passed away, that will pass away. And the term will no longer have any meaning. And the reason all of that is true is because of the greatest promise of all. All of this is dependent on this one reality. You ready to hear what it is? The fact that we won't have any more 
death and no, no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain. It's all because of one key thing will be taken. There won't be any more sin. The reason we have death here, the reason there's crying, the reason there's pain, the reason there's suffering, the reason there's hate, the reason there's lust, the reason there's wars, the reason there's crime, the reason there's despair and depression and discouragement and fear and broken relationships, it all comes back to sin. And one day, sin itself will be gone and we won't be able to sin anymore. Aren't you ready for that? Of all the things that you should be tired of, believer, the most that you should be, the thing that you should be most tired of and ready to be done with is sin. And one day, it's a reality. You haven't caught up to it yet, but it's a reality. Sin itself will be no more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. N.T. Wright, great, great pastor and scholar, said this, when God does what God intends to do, planned, when God does what God intends to do, this will be an act of fresh grace of radical newness. At one level, it will be quite unexpected, like a surprise party with guests we never thought we would meet and delicious food we never thought we would taste. But at the same time, there will be a rightness about it, a rich continuity with what has gone before so that in the midst of our surprise and delight, we will say, of course, this is how it had to be even though we'd never imagined it. A great, fresh grace and radical newness is awaiting you, believer. It's coming. It's a reality. We just haven't caught up to it yet. But that doesn't mean we can't live in light of it. So, what does all that mean for us in the practical, in the here and now? Just like I asked last week, I... I, pose this question again, and it's a question we all should ask in light of hearing what we've just heard. What should we do? What should we do about that? Like, how, how should that impact the here and the now? What do we do in light of that? Well, I think it comes down to this. The future our Savior has secured for us, and He has secured it for us. It's secure. He paid for it with His life. He bought it with His blood. The future our Savior has secured for us should motivate us to live for Him in the present. Look ahead. Look at that great future. Hold on to it and use it as motivation to live for Him in the present. And guess what? You have the Holy Spirit to help you with that. You have the very Spirit of God to empower you to do that. What a God we have. Next week, we start a new series, and it's important for all of us that we take what we've just heard, what we finished this series with, and take it over with us to the next series. Because the next series, we're going to be focused on something that all of you have asked at some point. Many of you are probably still asking. Where is God 
in my grief? Where is God in my grief? Because all of this is true. But the other thing that's true is until we catch up to that reality, grief is very much with us and very real. Where is God in all of that? That's where we're headed next week. Keep, keep this. Keep this with you as we do that. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the power and the relevancy of your word. And I thank you, oh God, I thank you for the reality, the new reality that you have secured, that you have guaranteed, and that you have made real for us. We haven't caught up to it yet. You haven't called us home yet. The fact that you didn't bring us immediately into heaven when you saved us means you have us here on earth for a purpose, for a reason. And we're meant to persevere. And we're meant to endure. But we need perspective. Help us to keep the right perspective that this is not our home. This is not all there is. This is not all there will be. There is a greater, brighter future reality, a perfect one that awaits us. Keep that in front of us, please, God. And help us to live in light of it. Yes, life is pain. And anyone that tells us different is trying to sell us something. But that doesn't mean that we will forever be locked in to this life of pain. Thank You for the life that is to come if we are in Christ. And I pray if there is anyone here that has not yet given their life to Christ, that has not yet received His salvation, His new life, and the promises like this of, new, of a new reality, please let today, right now, be the time, the day, the moment that they give their life to Jesus and receive from Him all of this. In the meantime, help us to live in light of this reality, in light of eternity, and to live for You in every way. Thank You for what You're going to do, and thank You for what You're doing right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.